0: 7.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at KPFA.org. The time is 3:30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Rain, Rain and Cohen. And welcome to another edition of Cover to Cover, Open Book, or as I like to say, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and I'll be with you for the next half hour talking about film, uh, one of my favorite subjects. And with me to talk about film today is uh, Bay Area filmmaker Gene Kaur. I first, I think, uh, heard about Gene Way back when, when uh, I watched the film Waldo Salt, A Screenwriter's Journey, uh, which is a film that he wrote and directed along with Robert Hillman, it was nominated for an Academy Award in 1991, and then he also wrote and directed the dramatic feature film Desert Bloom, which was an amazing film that has still stuck with me. It was a feature film, and it really dealt with the uh, the nuclear testing that was happening in Nevada and the story of a family. So I was really excited when I, I guess it was a year ago, I was at the Sebastopol Film Festival, and lo and behold, Jean Corr was there with a new film, a documentary entitled Ghost Town to, to Havana. And um, somebody said, it's about baseball, and I thought, well, maybe I'll go anyhow. <laughs> I'm not really into baseball, but I watched the film and I was completely riveted. Uh, I just thought it was one of the best films that I saw, and it's on my best film list uh, for uh, last year. It was such a strong film. And uh, so I'm really excited to have Jean here to talk about the film. Uh, so, first of all, welcome to KPFA.
1: Oh, thank you, and thank you for that lovely introduction. I appreciate it.
0: Well, so that there's there's this, these different elements about the film that I that we need to talk about because it's called Ghost Town to Tava- Havana, and it's really I think sort of a three part film that's really intersected. One, it's about you growing up in Richmond, and your father who was a coach. Um, the second part is about baseball teams in inner cities, which we'll talk about, and then the third is about trying to get funding together to bring these baseball teams, or one baseball team, to Cuba, where people love baseball, and the whole idea of families working together about um, things that people in the community care about is really very different, so uh, all these elements, which in some ways you think, okay, I don't know how they could all go together, but You did a brilliant job of linking all these stories, weaving them together. So why don't we start with uh, what made you decide that you wanted to make a film and it was going to be somewhat personal in the first place?
1: Um, You know, I didn't know really in the beginning, but the impulse uh, to the film was was very personal. Um, You know, just some quick background. Because of uh, the Iraqi war and George Bush... I did a number of things to stop myself from ranting, which we talked about earlier. And um, um, That was before
0: we got on the air. No okay. one missed that. Yes. No one missed no that. No one heard that, yet. yes. Uh,
1: one of them was to buy a headstone from my grandmother, mm. uh, who uh, uh, lay in an unmarked grave in Richmond, San Pablo, for 40 years. She, she'd she been an alcoholic, and uh, I bought her a headstone. And all of this sort of to shut myself up in a certain way. I started a screenwriting program at San Quentin and had some really talented writers in it. It was a wonderful experience, ran for five years. And I went to Cuba because you weren't supposed to go at at that time uh, after 9-11. And uh, I walked onto a a ball field quite by accident and, uh, and just saw pure joy unfolding before my eyes. It was just absolutely remarkable um the fun that they were having and the parents and a little bit overblown but the kids were just having the time of their lives, you know and it reminded me of being uh, a kid in Richmond uh, a boy, young boy in Richmond at Nickel Park where I saw the same thing and uh, the Afro-Cuban guys reminded me so much of uh, the heroes of my youth uh, Winner's Calvin Cal Willie Reed and that bass Earl McKelvey who, we opened the film with Jerome McKelvey, a a man who taught me some things and who was an important mentor to me into my early 20s. Um, So, you know, sometimes as a film, things just come to you. You're not looking for them. They they almost find you. So, I thought, oh man, I'm going to make a film about two coaches. (laughs) You know, one here, this guy right here, Nicholas Ayes, a wonderful man. Um, And, uh, a coach I'll find. I, then I thought I'd find him in Richmond, but I didn't find him in Richmond. Richmond I found him in Oakland. Roscoe Bryant. Uh, incredible. Uh, you know, who started a, a, a ball team. Uh, he was a boxer and a wrestler, state champ, and uh, started a ball team just, you know, to give kids in the neighborhood something to do after a boy who had just been playing in his backyard was shot and murdered in the street outside of his house. So, um... That's 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 kind of the the background. But the, the joy that I saw on the uh, Cuban ball fields was so reminiscent and familiar of a time here in the Bay Area.
0: Well, it's really a different thing, I think, to get inspired by something in your own life. But then to say, okay, I'm going to talk about my own life and my relationship with my father is a whole other kettle of fish. So what made you decide that that was actually going to be Something that you looked at or thought about in the film,
1: um, you know it was an intuition early on, but i didn 't want to go as deeply into it <laughs> as I finally did, and even then there 's some held back um, i mean what what I mean I think you kind of get from the film is that there was a um, kind of a traumatic event that happened at Nickel Park, and everything was public at Nickel Park in those days. Uh, you know, and the backstory is my my father had a girlfriend and the girlfriend was there and my mom was there and it was just a public humiliation that was awful and ended up in a serious rift in my family and a serious rift between me and my father, uh, that lasted for, for a long time. Uh, and that feeling of being sort of cast out of paradise, (laughs) Which for me as a kid, Nickel Park was paradise. So there was, I knew as a writer, there was metaphorical heft to it, and I, I didn't. You know, we don't as 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 writers and artists know all of our motivations, but I knew there was a. I knew there was a lot of stuff down there m- motivating me, um, and so it was a attempt to come to peace about certain things, and uh, and to also embrace the joy that I knew as as a kid, and that I saw in Cuba. You know, so it, thematically, it's an old story. You know, we, we're we all trying to rest, rest life from death. And Cuba, in the, these aspects, was an embodiment of pure joy.
0: Well, it's interesting because I'm <clears throat> pulled in two different directions. One is I want to talk about the dynamics in the film and what it's about and how it works. But on the other, I'm so interested in you as a screenwriter because... I interview a lot of documentary filmmakers. I see lots of documentary films. There is a way where documentary film is really about storytelling, but there is uh, a sense that you that I saw when I watched your film is that you really understand the craft of storytelling in a way that's different from many documentary filmmakers. That there is something... So when you were talking about sort of this narrative structure, I'm wondering how... How that all came together, and then we can talk about the actual stories that you wound up telling in this film.
1: Yeah, well, it was hard in the beginning because really all I had, the film that I wanted to make, was to follow two characters and find out what happened in their lives and in the lives of the kids that they were coaching. Now, as documentary filmmakers, if any are listening, you know, that's not a very good pitch, you know. Uh, But I've always loved, uh, you know, some of the descriptions of storytelling structure and the three-act structure. And one of them is, uh, 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 you know, in the first act, you run the character up the tree the second act, you throw rocks at him or her, and the third act, you get them down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of screenplays have been written with this, but you know, with this notion. Yes. And for Waldo uh, Salt, all that what Waldo said, he says, if I can find the need that the character has, I can write a screenplay. I don't have to know anything. Yes. <laughs> you know, he says it's really very simple because if I can get inside the character, then you know. And so my struggle was to try and get you know inside of, of, of Roscoe. And, and, and Nicholas and follow them because I trusted. Um, they're both poor. They're both dedicated. Uh, they're both, I think, extraordinary men, um, working in very difficult circumstances and doing a beautiful job. I knew life was going to throw a lot of rocks at both of them, and it did. And to me, that's, that's what drama is. That, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, our characters, um, it, you know, entering into the world um, and encountering all the obstacles that the world um, throws up. Well,
0: you know, you are, we're speaking with Gene cor you're a political filmmaker, it, you're really thinking about injustice in all of your films, and so here is the situation where you're going to Oakland and there is this person who is organizing kids playing baseball and there is a lot going on there's a lot of crime around the um the baseball field there's a lot of families falling apart there's issues with resources there's uh issues with kids feeling horribly about themselves not believing in themselves so there the, you have a lot to, you have a lot that you could be really covering so What was it in particular about this coach of all the different coaches that I'm sure that you checked out that was the one that could embody enough of what you wanted to have told in this
1: story? Um, What he had was uh, an ability to know every kid, to get to know every kid, and most important for me to accept every kid. Wasn't able to follow every kid, of course, but there were kids with all kinds of tra- traumas. Uh, uh, there was, a, a, you know, one kid who had a misshapen hand who played. Um, you know, every kind of, uh, you know, imaginable imaginable psychological and physical ailment, uh, he would find a way to put him in the game and make them feel good about themselves, you know. Uh, I, you know, you, you, sometimes I say, Jeez, coach, I hope that kid doesn't get hurt, you know. Because not all the kids were very coordinated. He'd find some way for that kid to feel really great about himself. So this, I I feel, is such a huge problem in our society is that, you know, there is an economic mechanism in place to identify black kids in the inner city who have the potential to become really good athletes. It's what we do incredibly well an economic system. It's very rational. It's very efficient. It picks them out. It just ignores... You know, the 90 or 95 percent of the kids who aren't going to be great athletes because they're not, you know, that doesn't mean that they can't participate. They can't play. They can't, you know, learn. So what I saw right from the beginning and Roscoe was sort of I realized, oh, my God, this is a course in citizenship and socialization. And uh, I, I could just see the enormous positive impact on on the kids. And uh, so, it, I it, the thing about making a documentary, you have to be constantly inspired yourself to keep wanting to do it and face your own obstacles, you know, your own creative obstacles, and on this film, huge financial obstacles. And so, I was constantly replenished um, and inspired by these t- two men, and and uh, and moved by the struggle of the kids.
0: So that there's you know, so there's the personal message, which is that. These coaches believed in the kids, and so then they could start doing better. But then there's this other, I guess, overriding social message, which is that if there were more kids who had mentors like this in the intercity, then there would be something that's holding them together that's creating teamship and bonding that's really different than um, gangs and drugs, for example. Yes,
1: yeah. Well, as a society, we're just awful at that. Just awful, you know um things happened here i mean i have an odd history uh at 17 i started working in factories and worked in factories until i was about 25 or actually 26 and uh and they already at the, at that time was the, the i was a forklift driver a crane operator i did all kinds of jobs and uh made good money bought a house when i was 21 you know in north oakland i wish i still had it um but these kids have no such opportunity today. Uh, and there were mentors then on the ball fields, you know, that came from the pool of steady working class jobs. And these were black and white men, um, you know, uh, uh, and uh, Latino men as well. And so, you know, the inner cities have just been hollowed out uh, economically. And one of the consequences of that is the rise of the, the drug trade, the rise of the, uh, uh, you know, of gangs. And really, the theme of the movie, which is the disappearance of you know inner city mentors and uh you know I just cut a scene into the movie because the actually the the Cuban government supports athletics they have a big program of public health, their kids are very healthy uh, as uh, you know as a result we have no national program for sports uh, it's you don't have to be a communist country to have a program like that. Canada has a program like that. Many countries have programs like that, and they really help kids, you know, especially kids who are disadvantaged economically, to have all kinds of experiences that they would not otherwise be able to have. Uh, so we're the outlier nation here in terms of doing so little for our kids, you know. Um, so I, th- I think underneath it, you know, I might have felt like a vulnerable kid. I identified with these kids. I Obviously, I'm the son of a coach identified with the, with with the coaches um, but uh, uh, you know in that whole s- psychic soup there was a, a, a lot of passion for me you know that I could access and hopefully you're looking for the thread that runs through you to the audience yes
0: we're talking to Gene Corr. his film ghost town to Havana is having three screenings in the Bay Area which I'll tell you about in a little bit so you meet this coach and you start hanging out there um in ghost town which is an area of oakland and uh watching them play and seeing what's happening because there's a lot that happens to all the different characters how long did you film there
1: uh actually we started filming in 2007 and uh finished uh, late in 2011 uh, I knew from the very beginning that for the film to work, I was going to have to follow characters over time, both the coaches and the players. Um, uh, it's funny. I haven't I, I mentioned in the beginning when I told Roscoe I wanted to make a film, you know, about him. He said, okay. He said, no hookers, no, uh, <laughs> no drug dealers, you know. Uh, He was very tired of, you know, media coming into his community and identifying the most sordid aspects of it and highlighting that in a sensational way. So at times it was kind of frustrating because at the time across the street was one of the busiest drug dealing corners in in Oakland, 29th and MOK. It's not that way now. But uh, you know, I said it was like the McDonald's window. You know, they they would come by every 30 seconds and get their drugs. You know, and they, there's not a frame of that in the movie. You know, um, and the, the effect of it, oddly, is that I think the kids aren't You see these kids in the baseball uniform, and they're not immediately stereotyped in any kind of criminal way. And there aren't these associations. So, in the end, I've, I end up being very appreciative of the of the limitation.
0: Oh, that's that's really interesting. And then you also, you went to Cuba and filmed there. So one of the big stories of this film is, can these kids from Oakland go to Cuba and play baseball? And what will that be like? It's such so culturally different. There's a different kind of support. There's a different kind of community. And uh, there must have been a lot of challenges about, one, as a filmmaker, do you help facilitate bringing kids from one place to another? Is that i don 't know enriching the story or is that somehow getting in the way of 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 their lives how are you you know what are you playing with there and at the same time that there's something really remarkable about having cultures interact and seeing things in a different
1: way, yeah. Um, you, you know, the ethical, there's an ethical documentary question because you are intervening in lives. And, uh, I, I mean, the twist, and it's in the movie, is that Roscoe was the one who was always pushing going to Cuba. You know, one of the first things he does with kids, um, you, you know, when they join a team, he just drives them across the, uh, the Bay Bridge. They just go across the Bay Bridge, he gets to the other end, turns around and comes back. Just because they'd never been across the Bay Bridge. Um, You know, kids don't go anywhere. You know, they're in these little um, pockets. Yes. You know? Uh Sometimes pockets of gang turf and don't get out. So Mm -hmm. for him, going to Cuba was just an extension of of that. You know, he wanted to show the kids there's more to life than ghost town. Um, So about, I'd say, nine months before... We were, you know, he finally, oh, I mean, remembering now, uh, I was told him, no, we can't do it. You know, first of all, the Bush administration, absolutely impossible. Nobody's getting permits to go. It'll never happen. Forget about it. And he kept calling me, kept talking about it, kept talking to other people about it. And then finally, I mean, you know, so long ago we were making the film, Obama got elected, you know. It's not in the film he called me up. He said, Obama, we're going <laughs> to Cuba, man. You know, to he says, we're going. You know, you know great. I said, well, okay, maybe we can try. And we had this whole plan. We are going to fundraise together. We're going to do all these things. And then, I don't want to give too much about the film, but then that traumatic event occurs in his life, and he disappears. And so I don't have my partner anymore. We've been kind of joined at the hip through all of this and still are, you know. But at that point, I was on my own. And I had to think, well, do I want to, you know, quit this? You know, he, he wasn't doing what he needed to do to get a passport. He wasn't doing anything. He was seriously depressed. Um, so, yeah, it was a very dramatic. I thought the film probably was over. And that's the risk a documentary filmmaker takes that a dramatic, you know, maybe your character, maybe your actor dies. But, um, you know, people say, didn't you have a contract? Didn't you have a guarantee? Well, if somebody did not want to do anything, what does a contract mean? Right. Uh, So anyway, finally, the only thing that got Roscoe on that plane and to go ahead with, uh, you know, the trip was that he did not want to, you know, deprive the kids of an opportunity to go. And I was able to raise some money. You know, and, uh, you know, it, I don't know if this violates documentary ethics, but I didn't want to deprive these kids the opportunity to go, so I also had a home equity line that I draw, drew on to go. Wow. Well, you know, we, we call that the beginner's mistake. When you spend money on your own film, you know. <laughs>
0: but this is not the begin. You're not a beginner filmmaker, you know, so. Uh,
1: but I made the beginner's mistake, though. So,
0: yeah. Well, or you, you were passionate about something enough to. To do something. I mean, I I think in the past couple of years, I've interviewed so many filmmakers who um, have wound up somehow being financially entangled with their subjects. Maybe they stop being subjects per se, but something shifts in a way that's different in filmmaking now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's true. And also, I think it's hard for a documentary, harder for documentary filmmakers to make a living now and to finish their films. I yes. think that's very, very typical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I did wasn't rare now. Um, uh, yeah.
0: So I, I want to talk about the pacing because there is a feeling, you know, as I was saying earlier, I'm speaking to Gene Corbetta's film, Ghost Town to Havana. At the beginning, uh, when you're talking about the relationship with your father and, you know, the past that long time ago, there's kind of a slow pace and then when you're in ghost town in oakland there's a certain kind of pace and then when you go to cuba it's totally different (laughs) it's like the energy is there the families are all hugging and kissing each other there's like music there's intensity it's really different so uh, i'm interested in that because those are elements that can either really work in a film or could get in the way so how did you think about that
1: um i did some thinking beforehand because it was so obvious the life of cuba you know and i wanted as much as possible to capture that and express it um but I, instinctively also i just think films are closest to poetry waldo believed that they have a rhythm to themselves and not that we should be too self-conscious about about this and i try not to be and a lot of this stuff if you talk about it sounds stupid you know, but but you know, a lyrical film. You know, I, uh, but but there 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 is a poetry to it. It's a spare form. It's a visual poem. So uh, form. So I, I, and saw films this way as well as as a form of visual poetry. And, uh, and it becomes part of the structure of, 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 of your movie and the language, the syntax of your film. And again, what it is is all intuitive, you know, whether it feels right to you or not. Does it feel like memory, you know? And it was really, I, you know, most of the memory sequences I shot with my daughter when she was 19 years old, you know. So that added a whole emotional layer to it. I was, in uh, some ways, telling the story of my life to my daughter in a movie, ah, uh-huh. you know, which is, you know, go, and going back to the places where you know, in some cases, my father and I did spend time, even when we were estranged. And you look at what there's the you know the the place where we used to keep a little fourteen foot wooden skiff. This is a bay story. It's a bay area. So, if there were, There's a dump right behind us, the refinery right in front of us, you know, and the sewage treatment plant over here hadn't been built yet, you know, and, it, you know, there's tires and oil spills and, and, and also it was, it was my personal introduction to how beautiful the world is, you know, um, and so, you know, I hope that there's beauty in the films, uh, you know, that I make.
0: Yes, well, definitely. You know, Ghost Town to Havana is having three screenings, and these are all free Bay Area screenings. And the first one is Tuesday, May second, at the Bayview Opera House. Which, you've, if you haven't been there, it's um, at forty-seven oh five Third Street in San Francisco. The community got together and they re—they really fixed this up. You know, something that had been completely dilapidated. It's a beautiful building. The doors open at six thirty. There's the film is at seven and eight thirty. There's a a Q and A with um, well, you'll be there. Roscoe Bryant will be there, um, and then the junior the junior Giants representative. I mean, it's like yes. yeah, there's yeah. something kind of interesting that's happening. Yeah. Um, and then on Wednesday the next night at the New Parkway in Oakland, and then Wednesday May tenth, it's going to be at the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts in Richmond. So it's really It's like trying to speak to the community in the community.
1: It is trying to speak to the community, and we're hoping to get, you know, some parents who would like to volunteer to be coaches. You know, I will speak. uh, I believe that there should be stipends paid to inner city coaches. You know, the film describes a a contrast that uh, Mill Valley, California, has 31 youth baseball teams for kids 9 to 12 years old. Richmond, Richmond has two 11-, 12-year-old teams Mm. in a city of over 100,000, 14,000 versus 100,000. And uh, the teams had no money to travel, so what did they do? They played each other 18 times, you know? Yes. Which to me is both beautiful and pathetic. So it's really this story. You cannot point a camera anywhere in America right now without running into uh, inequity. You know, and this isn't simply is not simply a black problem. It's a black brown. It's it's a white problem because um, uh, the same thing is happening all over the country in every area in every race, and that's these divisions of of class that begin very early, and deprive poor kids, whatever their race. From participation in kind of the fundamental American rights of, rights of passage. Uh, this is not happening in other countries, certainly not countries with the resources of the United States. So yeah, I'm about to get mad.
0: <laughs> oh you know? right, we were yeah, gonna yeah. we were yeah. gonna <laughs> not go into the ranting thing, but rather <laughs> yeah. talk about because you did yeah. something that was so beautiful. So it's basically the barnstorming for inner city baseball tour, the Junior Giants and Positive Coaching Alliance. They're inviting you to the screening. Uh, so it looks like people could go to your website ghosttownhavana dot com to yes. get information about these screenings and other screenings.
1: Yes, thank, and, thank you yeah
0: and uh, and it seems to me that there is something really interesting about if the kids get to see themselves who are in this film, how you know how uh, seeing their lives reflected, how that makes such a great difference in terms of what's happening. So I want to thank you so much for joining us. Eugene Corr, the film Ghost Town to Havana, three screenings starting Tuesday, May 2nd at Bayview Opera House, Wednesday, May 3rd at New Parkway Theater, and then Wednesday, May 10th at East Bay Center for the Performing
1: Arts. Yeah, I, we want to make one quick appeal. Yeah, you know, if you are a parent, um, you know, come to these screenings because uh, the the Junior Giants and the Positive Coaching Alliance have a wonderful training program. It's anti-bullying. They teach you how to coach, so it's a, it's it's a very valuable partnership. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the Junior Giants because about you know twenty five thousand kids play baseball who would not not otherwise play. Uh, the fact is the social problem is enormous, and we're going to need more resources. And kids can
0: come to the film, too. They can abso- enjoy it. Yet. Kids,
1: absolutely. You know, everybody is welcome to come okay, to the film. Okay,
0: thank you. My name is Rana Cowan. You've been listening to Cover to Cover, Frame to Frame, and I'll see you soon to talk more about film. Thanks for listening. You no
1: know, Vijay Prashad you really should. Prashad is an Indian historian, journalist, Marxist, professor of international studies at Trinity College. He's a harsh critic of American foreign policy of Israel and its actions toward Palestinians. The author of 17 books, Prashad, is also an advisory board member of the U.S. campaign for the academic and cultural boycott of Israel.